0: Good for Don and I to be back with you here, and uh, a lot of a lot of familiar faces and a lot of good memories here at uh, at Northside Baptist Church. And uh, Don and I were reminiscing a little bit, and uh, told someone that we uh, lived in the staff house over here, and our little dog came to church with us about every Sunday, and so we got to count that as an additional added on to our Sunday school hour every week. So. Uh, many of you all probably remember our little black dog that we had, but we uh, have a lot of good memories here at Northside. and It's a privilege to be able to be back. Appreciate Scott giving me the opportunity to do that. and so We pray for him and pray for the team and pray for your work here in the Northside Church and in the Rock Hill area that God will continue to use you to make an impact in this world in which we live. I want to invite you to find in your Bibles this morning the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as we uh, find that place, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a good reminder this morning the choir has given us, Lord, that that you're able to take us through all the difficulties of life and, and polish us and refine us, Father. It's for your glory and praise. And God, I thank you today for the privilege that we have to open up your precious word and together as your people. And to Father, to come before you and realize, Lord, that the greatest thing we need is for you to visit with us today. Lord, it's not just that we've come to to visit with you and to worship and to celebrate. But, God, if you don't show up, if you don't come and touch our hearts and encourage us and challenge us and put your finger in our life, it's going to be all for naught, Father. God, I pray for the mission team, that you continue to be with them as you've safely brought them back to the States. Now, as you, Father, bring them back to uh, Rock Hill, I pray, Father, for their continued safety as they travel, God, thank you for their work and their ministry that they literally, Father, are wanting to carry the gospel to the far reaches of this world. God, how blessed this church is to have people who are willing to take time off and to take time out of their own life and to travel halfway around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. God, help us to catch that vision and to have that tug of our heart, Father, that we're to go everywhere. Every place and share the good news of Jesus Christ. God, open your word to us today. Help us to understand, help us to see it, help us to apply it to our life that we might be more useful in thy work and in thy kingdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. You uh, may be familiar with the story about the uh, husband and wife and little girl who were having a dinner party and having a lot of people over. And when it came time to sit down and eat, the mother asked Jennifer if she would have the blessing. And Jennifer said, Well, Mama, I don't know what to pray for. She said, Well, honey, just pray what you've been hearing your mama pray. She said, Oh well, I can do that, Mama. So she bowed her head and she said, Dear Lord, why did I invite all these people to my house? <laughs> Sometimes... Prayer can be like that for us, can't it? But I want to talk to you today about the serious side of prayer. S.D. Gordon said, the greatest thing that anyone can do for God or man is to pray. It's not the only thing we can do, but it is the chief thing that we can do. And Of course, that great writer Oswald Chambers in his little book, My Upmost for His Highest, says that prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. As I was... Kind of uh, preparing for today, I remembered a cartoon in the Sunday's paper, Family Circle. You're familiar with that little cartoon. It's a picture from some years ago about a mother who was uh, fixing uh, dinner, and she had the radio on, and she was listening, and someone was making the suggestion, said, what is the greatest power known to mankind? And he started going through things. He started talking about... Uh, electrical plants, and Niagara Falls, and military, and the sun, and nuclear power. and As as he was mentioning these things about what is great power, she had in her mind a picture of her six-year-old daughter kneeling beside the bed and saying her prayers. That's what Phillips Brooks had in mind when he said, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but taking hold of God's willingness. That's what prayer is. Prayer is connecting with God. I, I'm reminded of a friend of mine who uh, some years back pulled up at a, uh, a store. And he, uh, when he pulled up, he saw that the sign on the front had, had a closed sign on it. You've seen those. It says closed. And he said, okay, I'm going to get out and see what time they open so I'll know what time to get back. And when he got closer to the sign, he noticed there were writing above the word closed and ben- beneath the word closed. And it said above it that our father's ears are never, and then the word closed, and then beneath it to the prayers of his children. So what seemed to be a, just a, a regular store closing sign was actually an invitation to pray. Do you know the Bible's full of invitations to pray? One of my favorites, Jeremiah 33. 3, God says, "'Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things.'" which you do not know. Jesus talked about prayer and the invitation of prayer in Matthew 7 when he said, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open." Now, the Bible doesn't just talk about uh, invitations to prayer, but it talks about admonitions to prayer. Why is that? Because prayer talks about the intimacy that God wants to have with us and that we can have with God. See, you can't get to know someone if you don't talk to them and spend time with them, and that's the way it is with God. You'll never know God till you learn to be personal and intimate with God. And you can have an institutional relationship with God and not pray. That is, you can believe in the historical facts surrounding Jesus, or you can have a uh, you can have a, a social relationship with God and not pray. That is, you can hang out with people that, um, that know about God and love God but never really pray. But if you want to have an intimate, personal relationship with God, you've got to pray. And the more you pray, the more intimate your relationship will grow. And one of the places that we find about this admonition to pray is right here in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, you're aware with 1 Timothy along with 2 Timothy and Titus or what's known as the pastoral letters. It's those final letters that Paul wrote at the end of his life while he was in prison. In fact, it's some of the last words that Paul shares and they're, they're more intimate and more personal than many of his other letters. And in fact, because they are some of his final words, we hear the urgency in them. We should when we read these pastoral letters. So let's look together in chapter 2 of Timothy, 1 Timothy, and we read these words. I urge you then, first of all, that request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, who gives himself as a ransom, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. If we are going to impact this world for God's kingdom, we've got to understand the all-importance of prayer. Folks, let's be honest this morning. You and I have seen what mankind can do. I think it's time we figure out how to see what God can do. And the only thing I know that gets God moving into action is the prayer of His people. And Paul tells us here, a first priority ought to be to pray. And how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us four things in this text, a lot more than four, but four main things that he tells us we need to do. First of all, I want you to see that we ought to pray, he says, in all ways. Look what he says in verse 1. I urge you then... First of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now, he says we ought to make requests, or your your translation may say supplications. It is simply praying for the needs that we have in our lives. Now, it would be foolish for me this morning to ask you if we have any needs in our life. I've never met anybody that doesn't have a need in their life. Now, the funny thing is we get so... Uh, concentrating on what we're doing in life, we don't take time to hear about the needs that we have. You know how it is on Sunday morning? You can see two people get out of a car, and they slam the car door shut, and they're not talking to each other, and they walk into church, how are you know? Oh, I'm just fine. You know, well, we need to pray about lying right there. That's one thing right there. And you know how it is when you pass people in the hall. How are you today? Fine, I'm doing fine. Good to see you later. I don't know about you, but every now and then I like to throw a kink in there. Now, those of you that know me, you know that's just the way I am. I like to have a good time. I enjoy life. Right, Sharon? You remember, Steve used to give me a hard time. But every now and then when I pass people, they'll say, How are you today? I'll say, I'm terrible. And they'll say, Oh, that's good. Have a good day. And I'm thinking, They didn't even hear what I had to say. Expressing our needs, our requests to God. And then he says, We ought to... Pray prayers. That word for prayer means praise. It's reminded to us that there ought to be times in our life when we turn to God, not seeking something from Him, but simply expressing to Him our, our thanksgiving, our praise to Him for who He is. He is the Almighty. Folks, He's not Santa Claus. He's not the man upstairs. He is God, and there's none like Him. And we need to praise Him for who he is. I remember the story of Dr. Harry Ironside who used to be at Moody Memorial. He tells the story that sometimes on Sunday nights he'd just have an open mic where people could ask questions and sometimes the students would come in. And one night, one of the students stood up and said, Dr. Ironside, can you explain to us how the Israelites could wander for 40 years and never wear their clothes out, never wear their sandals out? Dr. Ironside went to the mic and he said, Yes, son, I can. The only answer I know is one word, God. To which the young man said, okay, 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 I I think I understand. And Harry Ironside said, no, son, you don't understand. Nobody understands. God is God and there's none like Him. Folks, we need to remember, God is God and there's none like Him. Then he says we ought to lift up intercessions of ought to be made that simply means to stand in for somebody it's like somebody has a need or somebody uh, even before they would voice it we stand between them and God and we offer up prayers on their behalf do you know folks that need prayer like that and then he says we ought to do so with thanksgiving that just simply means gratitude that means just thanking God for what he's done in our life so do you you see here he it's okay to ask God for what we need in our life and it's okay to uh, tell God the things that we're that we feel like that we need God to do something in our life but don't just stop there he says we ought to spend time uh, uh, praising God that is not just seeking his hand but seeking his heart and then we ought to get out of our comfort zone and pray for one another and pray for other people and then we ought to Thank God. Paul Powell says that most of us would do far, be far more effective in our prayer life if we would yank out a few groans and shove in a few shouts. Warren Bennett says, On the worst day of my life, I can think of ten things I should be thankful for. Being thankful people. You heard about the little girl, didn't you, and and her little brother who were walking across the pasture one day, and they were just talking and not paying attention. They looked up and realized that the bull was loose, and the bull was coming at them. So they took off running, the little girl who was taller and stronger, she ended up shimmying up a little tree and found a limb to sit on, but the little brother, he took off running, and all she could do was coach her brother. She said, run, Johnny, run, and Johnny ran. And when he got near the fence, she said, slide, Johnny, slide. And he did. He slid. But the only problem was the barbed wire caught the top of his breeches. And you know, she did the only thing she could do. She said, pray, Johnny, pray. And he did. He prayed. But the only prayer he could remember at that moment was the prayer that his daddy prayed before meal. And he could only prayed out loud. He said, Lord, for what I'm about to receive, I thank you. Now, what's the moral of the story, I guess, on that is even when life catches you by the seat of your pants, you can find something to be thankful for. Folks, we ought to be thankful people. We ought to be people who are people of prayer, praying for requests, praying praise, praying for one another, and praying with thankful hearts. Now, who are we? Who are to be the recipients of these prayers? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You asked good questions. He says right here in the text, secondly, he says that we should pray for everyone, for all people. He says the Lord wants everyone to be saved and to know that the gospel can go forward best in times of peace and tranquility. And he says we ought to pray for everyone. Now, what does he mean when he says pray for everyone? Well, he means pray for everyone. But let me give you some specifics of what we can pray for. One thing is we can pray for the sick. I think about the stories of Jesus, don't you? When people would bring sick people to him. Now, Jesus wouldn't pray for them. He'd touch them, and he'd heal them. He even, he even broke up every funeral service he was ever a part of. And we ought, to, we ought to pray for people that are sick. But sometimes if we're not careful, we forget to pray for those who are sick in their soul. You know, there's times, sometimes we pray uh, to keep Aunt Susie out of heaven, and we never pray for Ken to be kept out of hell we need to pray not only for the sick but those who are sick in their soul and we ought to pray for our young children and our youth i don't know about you but i think back and i think when i was in school the hardest thing uh, that was going on in school was getting caught chewing chewing gum and i was always the worst i'm telling the teacher could be writing on the blackboard and i could be chewing chewing gum and this happened to me And she said, somebody's chewing chewing gum, and I bet it's David Turner. Well, I'm telling you why. I swallowed more chewing gum when I was in school. (laughs) But that was one of the greatest things we had to worry about. It's not like that today, folks. And we need to pray for our children. We need to pray for our youth. We need to pray for our parents and our grandparents. What a task they have to encourage our children who are facing so much trouble in school today, and they're gone most of the day oftentimes in school when they're facing all kinds of peer pressure, nothing like you and I used to face when we went to school. We ought to pray for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. You know, Jesus said we're to be salt and we're to be light and we're not to hide the light under the bushel, under the bushel. Under the uh, uh, under the cover, we're to let our light shine, and we're to minister and care for people. And the best way I know to minister and care for our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers is to pray for them, and to be an example. We ought to pray for our enemies. Jesus said, "Father," when he was on the cross, "said Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." He also taught us in Matthew chapter five on the sermon, uh, in the great sermon that he preached. He said, "Love your enemies." Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. You know, chances are if you pray for those who are your enemies, it won't be long before they'll be your friends and you can impact their life by praying for them. We ought to pray for laborers. Jesus looked out among the crowd one day and his heart was heavy because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And he said, "...the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few." Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors. Now it's interesting that word sin in that text is a very violent word. It means to thrust out. It's the same word that describes Jesus casting out demons and devils. And what I think Jesus is trying to say to us is that we ought to pray in such a way that the burden will come upon us, that the urge to share our faith and to be an example for Christ will be so irresistible that we can't go out into this world and not impact it for the kingdom of God. I think we ought to pray for our pastor and staff and church leaders. You ought to pray for your pastor, for Scott, and for those who work on staff. Folks, I don't know of a time in our history of our church, and I have studied in my, in my uh, extended uh, educational work, revivalism and revivals and reaching out to the different ages. And I don't know of a time that is pressing harder upon those who are leading churches and pastors who have a passion to be a shepherd for their people in a time when all hell is coming against the church today. Oh, you ought to pray for your pastor and staff. But I want you to notice in this text today in verse 2 that Paul mentions specifically that we ought to pray for the kings and for those in authority. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that we are living in a in an age and a time when people are more harsh on our government and despise and detest those who rule over us than any time that I'm aware of. And certainly I realize that those who govern us are capable of shameful misconduct and, and ruling and leading us in the wrong direction. I know that. But I want to tell you something this morning, folks. God calls us to pray for our government. And to pray for those who lead us. And we need to remember that not all politicians are crooked. I remember, I kind of was, as I was looking, reading over that this morning in, in the back room right here and just refreshing myself, I remembered a story about Ronald Reagan. And he and Nancy were walking through a cemetery one day and there was a tombstone that had written on it, here lies an honest man and a politician. And... Ronald Reagan said, Nancy, come here and look at this. They buried two men in this one grave right here. (laughs) Folks, we certainly ought to critique our political leaders. We ought to write them. We ought to call them, and certainly we ought to vote. But I wonder this morning, how many times do we really pray for our government, for our leaders, for our mayors? Folks, prayer is the best way for us to influence leadership. You see, I'm never expecting a call from the governor or from the senate or from the president. Either a phone call or an invitation to come to the White House or the State House. I'm never expecting that. But I, that still doesn't mean I can't influence the State House and the White House and Congress because I've got at my disposal the greatest thing known to mankind and that is to get on my face before God and to pray for those who lead this nation and lead this state. Whether it be North Carolina or South Carolina, I can impact the leadership of this world in which I live through the power of prayer. You know what James says? We have not because we, we ask not. Now, you might say, well, pastor, we live in a time where our leaders aren't worthy of our prayers. Well, let me remind you that when Paul wrote this, Herod Antipas was king. He had stolen the wife of his half-brother. He had John the Baptist beheaded. Felix was the governor of Judah. He was the one who was keeping Paul in prison, hoping to kind of get a bribe to let him loose. Nero was the emperor. He was one of the most despicable men who have ever lived. He killed his own mother killed his own wife, had his half-brother put to death, burned the city of Rome and blamed it on the Christians, would take Christians alive and cover them with, with pitch and set them on fire so that they might light his gardens at night. He would take Christians in amphitheaters and cover them in animal skins just to watch the wild dogs tear them to pieces. Do you know, history tells us that when Nero died, the citizens of Rome danced in the streets. That's who was leading At the time of Paul. And yet Paul says we ought to pray for our rulers. And we ought to pray that we might live quiet and peaceable lives. So that the gospel can go forth and impact the world in which we live. Now we're talking about particular ways to pray. Let me mention one more to you. We would do well to pray for one another. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And folks I want to tell you. People don't want to join a church where they don't feel loved and cared for. And so pray for one another that God would knit your hearts as a body of believers that together you might accomplish God's will and God's purpose. And I want to tell you something. Only God can bring His people together and knit our hearts together with one purpose and one direction in life. Now... Thirdly, I want you to see that Paul teaches us in this text that we ought to pray with all confidence. Look what he says here in verse 5. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, uh, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. In other words, that's, Paul is saying, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. We don't come and pray and then say, I pray in the name of Northside Baptist Church, or I pray in the name of the Southern Baptist Convention. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ because when we do, when we approach God in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, God pays attention. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I'm sure most of us are. You have people that call you and want to ask for advice, or they're wanting a reference, or they want to sell you something. And a lot of times, people get my name from friends. And so they'll call me and say, uh, you know, your friend Tom down the road here uh, gave me your name. And I'm going to say I talked to Tom. But if you really want to get my attention and you really want to get my ears, when I pick up the phone or if you knock on my door and you say, you know, your daughter Dana, your daughter, your, your son Dean uh, gave me your name and asked me to come by and see you because I need some advice. That's the best way to reach me. is is through my children. Now, that's not the way it is with God, but similar. I hope you get the point here. Is that when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in the name of God's Son. And when we pray in His name, God listens and takes notice. Billy Sunday, Sunday said it this way, When I go in the name of Jesus Christ, God will stop making worlds to hear me. Isn't that great? The writer of Hebrews said it this way. We're to approach the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Because we come to that throne of grace through the name of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. So we're to pray in all our ways. We're to pray for everyone and pray with all confidence. And then finally here Paul says that we ought to pray in all places. Look what he says in verse 8. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So we can pray at home. We can pray at work. We can pray at school. Yes, there will always be prayer in school as long as there are tests in schools. Amen? There's going to be prayers. But we can pray in hospitals or we can pray in restaurants. In other words, we can pray everywhere. There is no place that is out of bounds when it comes to prayer. But the best place to pray is to find a quiet place. Bill Watkins, who was the founder of Watkins um, Motor Lines, tells a story one time of a deep concern he had that was going on in his business. And his sister one time caught him and said, Bill, have you been praying about it? Bill said, yes, I've been praying about it as best I can. She said, you mean can is can can. And he said, well, I'm busy. God can hear me when I'm busy just as well as He can when I'm not busy. She said, Bill, that's right. God can hear you. But can you hear God? See, it's not just that prayer is about communicating with God, but prayer is about God communicating with us. And sometimes if we're not careful, we pray on the run and we never take time to be quiet enough for God to speak to us. Then Paul says that when we do that, we ought to pray with holy hands lifted up. That was the posture for a lot of the Jews, to pray with their hands up. And it wasn't because of the posture. It was because of the hands. The open hands represented before God. God, look, I come today with nothing. I come today with an open heart and an open life before you today to praise you and to receive from you. Isn't that what... The psalmist said, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in this holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul into vanity or sworn to seefully. It's as if, it's as if the, Paul is saying, Make sure that when you pray, when you come before God, that you lift up your hands, that you remember that you need to come to God with the things in your life. And say, God, please forgive me and to cleanse me. <coughs> Isaiah said it this way. Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hid you, have hid your face has hid his face from you, and he will not hear you. One of the things I think that keeps us from praying like we ought to is because of sin in our life. But you know, the strangest thing is the Bible tells us in 1 John 1 9 that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin. So God invites us to come to him and pray and to bring our sins to him, and he will forgive us and he will cleanse us. Well, I started this morning telling you about a sign that said that God's ears are always, that God's ears are not closed to the prayers of his people. My friend said when he went back later and he saw that the sign had been changed to open, he was intrigued as to what it might say. And so he went up and looked, and sure enough, there were some words above the word open and below it. And these are, this is what it had on it. Jesus wants you to open your heart to Him. Folks, that's really what prayer is all about. Prayer is about God opening our heart so that Jesus can speak to our heart, and our heart will communicate with His heart, and we can get our lives in line with what His purpose and His plan is. I want to ask you today, as we get ready to have a quiet time, an invitation time, has God put something on your heart today that you need to pray about? I'm going to invite you to come to the altar today and pray. Maybe you're on the front pew and sit, and just take a moment as we sing. To pray for your church and to pray for your pastor. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a, a need you have in your life. And as you see someone come, maybe you might be able to come and put your arm around them and pray with them, whatever that need is this morning. God, help us to be people of prayer knowing it's the greatest power known to mankind is the power of prayer. Father, as we... Take time this morning and pray. As we take time this morning and remember, Father, nothing that you have given us is more powerful than to take a few moments and bow our head and bow our eyes and to say, God, would you do what only you can do? Perhaps we've been trying to do it in our own strength and our own power, and we've realized today. It's not about my strength and my power. It is about the power of the Almighty. And we just need to come today and let go and just say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. And I want to be faithful in my time of prayer. I want to be faithful in my time with you. God, help us to do that today. As we sing, may we as a congregation, Father, be committed to being people of prayer. May we pray for one another. May we seek Father, to be a a house of prayer. And we'll ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.